Hello, this is Peter Jonathan Robertson with the 29th episode of the PJ Archive. It's an interview I did with one of the UK's original rock and roll stars, Marty Wilde, and his elder daughter, Kim Wilde, who was the most successful British female solo artist of the 1980s. They are the two most high-profile members of a talented and lovely family. This interview took place in 2007 at the Hertfordshire home of Marty and his wife Joyce, who was herself once a member of singing group The Vernons Girls. Marty started by telling the extraordinary story of how his future was predicted at a very early age. My father's mother was a clairvoyant. When I was a baby, she ran her finger in the centre of the crown of my head and she said, this, this boy will be the, the first person to be famous. He's, he will be a singer. So, I mean, remember, we lived in, you That's know, amazing. they were basically just very poor people in Fingal Street in Greenwich. She said, he, he'll be, he's going to be a singer. She said, and what you've got to do, she said, is when he asks for things, anything to do with his, that's going to be his career, you, you've got to give it to him. You must essentially help him out as much as you can, no matter what. And then he'll travel the world. Now, travelling the world in those days was for yeah. us. Some kid in back streets of London was, was going to be impossible. And she, she laid it all out and... Um, and the, but she died. She died when I was about, I think, a year and a half. And nobody said a word to me. Nobody. And then when I was about 16, 17, when I went into... I signed up with Larry, they told me. Mm. They told me that whole story. Never told me before. And I said, oh, it, was, it, was, <laughs> it was a funny feeling, but... Um, She'd, um, she laid it on the line, you know. And, when, and later on, of course, when, in my, when I was growing up, um, my father was out of work, and there was a pawn shop in uh, Trafalgar Road called Pockets, and there was a ukulele in that window, and I can remember walking past and looking at it, and I just used to stand for hours just looking at this ukulele. Well, not hours, but certainly for a long period of time. And um, I, I, my friend had one, and I didn't. And I said to my father, I, I, oh, could I have a ukulele? And he had no money and nothing, because they were on strike. The transition from uke to guitar was dead simple, because it's basically the same tuning. So I had a head start on everybody, and that was fate. You know, that was kind of a... My father was always singing. He was the one that really was my biggest musical influence. Um, he was always harmonising, he was all around the house. He was always tapping things, playing things, whistling. Mostly harmonies, though. He'd always harmonise. Unlike Kim and subsequent generations, you were one of the pioneers of rock and roll in this country. So it was much harder for you, because there was no one to show you the way, really. You were the, the first. Um, yeah, well, I was one of the very early ones. There was, there was only about... There were three of us, really. There was uh, Tommy Steele... There was Terry Dean. I must mention Terry Dean because no one ever does, and he he played a part as well. And myself, we were the first three, definitely. And we were all, we were on our own. I mean, you things you were trying out. For example, microphones coming up through flaps on the floor, and they'd be around about a foot and a half shorter than me, or two foot, three foot shorter than me. So I had to widen my stance and sing like that. You know, you were making it up as you go along. And what do I do now? And, uh, and how do I do this? And how do I do that? And yeah, it was a it was a voyage of discovery, but I think it was just something you you know it was just natural. It's just something you do. You know, it's like any any human beings that that's 
what they're good at, I suppose that's what they're natural at, you know. Marty, when you started out, how long did you think your career would last? Um, Bear in mind, it's now been 50 years. I never gave it a thought. I was, I was a very focused uh, young man, uh, very ambitious, very focused. Uh, he didn't, and he didn't worry me. I never worried. Never looked over my shoulder that way. I can remember the press, some really hardened press once, and they were there were a couple of them there, and they were. I think they wanted to to, to have a go at me in their own little way, and they said, "Well, what do you think then? Do you do you think you want? Do you think this 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 rock and roll will last?" I said, "Yeah." I said, it, it's, "It's going to outlast everybody." I said, "It will." will last as long as music lasts. The influence of rock and roll is phenomenal. Mm. I mean, other than classical music, rock and roll is the biggest single influence to ever, whether people realise that or not. I think mm. sometimes they forget it. They think, oh, it's modern music. No, 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 no. Modern music only came after rock and roll, mm. by and large. Not all forms of music, but classical music was the big impact right across Europe and the country. Rock and roll was the first impact around the whole globe. The whole globe, the whole world heard, heard rock and roll, and it was a big success right the way around. Only, uh, you know, classical music did, and still has, obviously. Um, and and j- obviously jazz and things like that, but rock and roll had the impact. Rock and roll was a world thing. It was, you know, whether people liked it or they didn't like it, the popularity was phenomenal. And that has retained. That's still there with people. It is still there. Do you ever meet Elvis, or want no. to meet him? Uh, no, yeah, it was fic- it was arranged for me to meet him um, when he was in Germany, because um, uh, I got I, we got to know Lamar Fike, who Lamar was uh, one of his top henchmen, mm-hmm. and um, Lamar fixed it for me to go and see him. But on the weekend that that, uh, that he and Elvis was on furlough, um, so I could if we you know we could have met. I had a TV coming. No, he said you had to go. I think it was something like uh, to go to Manchester or something like that. You know, to to do this uh, to do this television. And I remember, and I thought, oh no, but I couldn't. I, you know, you couldn't. You, I had my career. The only nice thing I did was I gave Lamar. I just uh, uh, I had an advanced copy of Bad Boy. And um, I gave it to Lamar, and I said, give it to Elvis, I said, and, and, and see what he thinks, and ask him about the B-side as well, because it's a song called It's Been Nice. And Elvis heard him, and Elvis thought Bad Boy would be, would be a hit. And it was? Yeah, it was, yeah. So, uh, so I, said, <laughs> I mean, I've worked with the others. I've worked, I've worked, with, uh, I've, I've, I've worked with Jerry Lee Lewis and people like that, mm. you know, and I've seen some of the greats in action. Johnny Cash. Johnny Cash and people mm. like Eddie Cochran, Gene Eddie Vincent. Cochran. So I've, I've seen most of the guy. I didn't, I didn't, the only time I'd like to have seen Elvis was when he was young, obviously. Yeah, not yeah. when he was older, yeah, not yeah. when it got to that Vegas bit. I think the Vegas thing was fantastic for Elvis, don't get me wrong. Yeah. But I, 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 my, Elvis, uh, my Elvis is in, in the sun days and the, the, the early yeah. Yeah, the original stuff. Yeah. And how much are you still friends with your fellow pioneers who were like Cliff Richard, like Tommy Steele and so on? Well, I don't see, I don't see uh, Tommy or... or, or I, see, I see Cliff once in a while. Uh, but for, for those artists, I have great respect. Mm. I think Tommy, Tommy... I once said a very cruel thing about Tommy, which was... I said that I didn't think he was a very good rock and roller, but, but they, they didn't... Give the rest of the interview out that I'd said. Out of context. Yeah, I, I said <clears> that he it, see Tommy could have been the way I view those two artists. Tommy could have been a star 
in any time. Tommy could have been a star in the musicals. I can just see him now in the in the in the he old days. Yeah. yeah, but you know what I mean. Yeah, in, yeah, in the old yeah. musical stage, you know, like the, the old Finsbury Park yeah. going singing and been a huge great star. You know, and then so, so it just happened to be the rock and roll came along for him. Mm. Whereas there's a difference. I think that Cliff and I were both basically rock and rollers mm. uh, to begin with, and that mm. influence was a huge thing. Mm. Where I think was Tommy. Tommy used that quite wisely as well, and then moved on to you know what he's become. You know, a fantastic all and all around a fantastic entertainer. Mm. Marty, do you look look back upon that era when you were at the top of your profession as the best time in your life, or how does it rank in your life? I think there were several things that, that uh, there was obviously there was obviously my career that was when End of Sleep first became uh, a hit. That was a pivotal point in my life that was the big break that I needed I'd say writing Bad Boy which was my first self-penned hit um, Mum Mum meeting Joyce that was a phenomenal uh, change in my life and Kim's career they were the real big the big moments in my life and and the most enjoyable they were all all those times I they were absolutely wonderful times. You were explaining mm. how important it was to you to meet Joyce, uh, Kim's mum, but were you originally, rather like the Beatles, told to hide her? Sort of like, she doesn't, you don't have a girlfriend. Yeah, that's... So that, you're all available to all the girls. That's right, that was, was what you, you really should do. And I think, um, I think it getting married, without doubt, I mean, we discussed it, you know, my manager and I. We sat down, talked it over, and he said, well... I think this would have huge impact on your record sales and your popularity. Did I it? Said, yeah, well, I think it. I think it did. Mm. Lots of people um, say that. that uh, you did. know, a lot of a lot of the records I think would have made the charts much bigger. I think I think Jezebel uh, would have been a much bigger record. I think Tomorrow's Clown would have been a much bigger record. Um, songs that um, they got to about sixteen or whatever. Or, but at that particular point, and I think I, I, I know it sounds a strange thing to say, but I get at, at our shows we do get a lot of ladies, mm. um, and I think that they and they sort of, always say, "Oh, it broke my heart the day you got <laughs> they, married." They, they all say that. They always say. I mean, I've got a friend, of my, a friend of mine who I met at college when I went back to, to horticultural college. Sweet lady Val, and we designed quite a few gardens together. We've just finished a project. She oh, and she still says it. Oh, your daddy! Oh, I had a picture of him on my. He broke my heart the day he got married. I said, "Oh, Val, pull yourself together." <laughs> it was uh, fifty years ago for God's sake. Oh, I'll never get over it. So I think I think you know at that time. Um, it, I mean, even now. You know, there are issues around people's sexuality mm. now. If it's going to have an impact on them, you know, there's there are gay artists who, who mm. are worried about coming yeah. coming out, and, and if it's going to affect them. I mean, in a way, that's sort of that's the, the, the 21st century mm. phenomena, isn't it? Mm. And then it was whether you were married or not. I'm sure it must have had mm. a huge impact on Dad's career. I think you. I think though that you know that the die was cast in my mind. You know, I knew what I wanted. I was a very focused person. And, you know, you can't... I, I couldn't forever be what what everyone wanted me to be. You know, I wanted, to, I wanted my own, to do my own thing. And I met someone that I loved, and that, and that was it, as far as I was concerned. I mean, uh, my parents had always taught me you fell in love with someone you, and you got married, and it was as simple as that. But and if I you was, could go back in time, Marty, would you do things differently with your mm. career and perhaps even stay uh, just boyfriend and girlfriend for a few more years to keep your career going? No. Um, no, I refuse to do that. 
were I, encouraged I was, to, though. I was encouraged to, to keep Joyce as a mistress, but I, <laughs> I, I refused. And no, I never would change that. Um, because I had my, you know, other people have had careers. I have a family, and I have a family that are important to me. And you, you can't live your whole life, you know, with a phenomenal career and all alone. You know, you can't. The great thing, of course, was when you, when you start a family and when you're young like that, the, the big perk, of course, is they're growing up because they're, they're young and they can be with their mother and, and you and, and enjoy life, you know, enjoy life properly to the full. Was it a problem for you when the mob hysteria faded and the hit record stopped? Was that a problem for you to deal with? Yeah, it was. It was in a way. I'd be dishonest if I said it wasn't. Um, it was difficult. It was difficult to earn money as well at one point um, because the shows weren't coming and I wasn't doing so many shows as, as I used to. And then, of course, the Beatles came in, the Beatles and the, the Liverpool Mersey Beach sound. And I thought, hey, I've got to move here. I've got to really... I've got to start doing things here. And so... I went then and played mostly clubs all over the north, south, east and west, mostly in the north. So I worked at every club and I worked hours and hours and show after show. Did you work with the Beatles? No, I didn't. No, no, I never worked with them. I worked with the Rolling Stones um, and, and people like that, you know, the mm. Ronettes. And, and In fact, to be honest with you, uh, I have to check up. I get old programmes given me and I think, oh my God, did I work with them, you know. Mm. Mm. Suddenly it says, you were there with Manfred Mann on that particular date. And you think, wow, I was, you know. Um, I worked with I worked with a whole host of people, Gene Vincent and everybody. You know, I worked with Johnny you, Cash. You, you concentrated a lot more on your writing then, didn't you? I did in, yeah, I did in the mid-60s because I wanted, I got ambitious. And when I get ambitious, that's always, that always um, gets me motivated because I'm a very lazy man. And I thought, I wanted a bigger house. I wanted to move and I wanted a bigger house. And so, and I think that was at the back of my head, and I just kept writing away, and, and the hits came along, and then we moved to this place, and that was it. That was the uh, in 1969, the songs bought the house. You know the songs for Lulu. Oh yes, Lulu, Jasmine, for the casual status quo. Status quo. Oh, ice in the sun. Ice in the sun, yeah. all that yeah. stuff, yeah. When you had children, did you want them to go into the industry? Were you thinking when they were little ones, did you think, oh, I'd love them to follow in my footsteps? No, no, I never thought that way. I've always thought with children, uh, I hope that they're... It's like with the grandchildren. I just hope that they're happy. I mm. want them to be happy. I'd be very pleased if, they're, if they become great writers. I mean, book writers or songwriters or... Something creative, fine, you know, but if they don't do that or they, they want to do something else that's creative that's outside of show business, fine, as long as they're happy. I think the saddest thing and the thing that I dread for any of my grandchildren or my children is to get into a situation that you don't, you know, you, you don't like the job, mm. you know, that must be awful. You know, day I, I was in a job like that. Mm. I was in a job when I was a kid, you know, nine till five, going by train up to London and I hated it. Monday morning was the worst I, it was like death. I would be on that train, and I, I used to look out the window, and the only reason I ever got out the train was because it was the final stop. Otherwise, I'd have probably been still staring out that window because I was in shock, you know, getting out of that stupid, that stupid hour. But that's the great thing about being in when you love something. Mm. Monday, Monday morning is nothing. Mm. It's just another great day, you know. Mm. It's... Kim, um, even if Martin hadn't been your dad, how much influence do you think he and his colleagues, his contemporaries, have been on your own music career and your own life? 
Was that era important to you musically? Well, it's hard to say, it's hard to put myself outside of the yeah. circle on that. Um, I know that rock and roll was at the centre of this house, but I know it, it wasn't at the centre of a lot of the houses of the kids that I went to. But then maybe a lot of their families weren't really into music and weren't exposing their kids. Obviously, I grew up in the 70s, really, so mm. the 70s was the music that was influencing me directly. So I was listening to anything then, like Queen or... Gary Glitter. Um, Gary Glitter, yeah. <laughs> Um, and that was a fabulous time for pop music in the 70s and, I agree, and I it was it. really amazing yeah. really fabulous stuff um, so I, that was really where what I was listening to yeah. and ABBA and, and stuff like that that's where that was, that's. but of course we had all the rock and roll here So, and I was watching Dad doing his shows live from, from a very early age I did have a you know incredible, incredible musical credentials you know um, exposed to all that music at such a young age and uh, so I feel very privileged. I had a privileged upbringing from that point of view to to learn how to appreciate that music. What do you remember of unique. him as a rock and roll star, though? Do you have many memories, or were you well, just no, too young? Well, no, because I was just too young. Yeah. So you know, as I grew up, I, it was as an ent- you know as entertaining people singing and mm. singing rock and roll. And I I remember the very first rock and roll record that I ever heard that really got to me was Bill Haley, Rock, rock Around the Clock. Clock. Mm. And I remember it, they played it at a disco that I went to when I was 12 years old. That was in 72. And I went to the dancing competition and won a £5 note and hid it in my shoe because apparently there were some tough girls up there, there that might have taken it off me. They said, Don't, that if you put it in your shoe, they'll never find it. <laughs> and, uh, but I remember um, Rock Around the Clock was the song and I thought, wow, rock and roll is just great. And then I used to just love going to, to watch Dad's shows and mm. I used to love and, and I know all those songs back to front. Mm. Now they like Dad said that you know when they go up when they sort of start colonising planets it'll be rock and roll that's first played. Kim, how old were you when you first thought of uh, following your father's footsteps? Um, I've always wanted to be Even a pop star. As long as you can remember. Yeah. 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 And I did used to tell some of the cho- my chosen favourite people at school, and they'll tell you now. You know they'll say, "Oh, mm. Kim, she used to tell us." You know, one day. Yeah, I used to fantasise about it. I always remember being up. Here, behind the garage on my roller skates, dreaming, dreaming, yeah. <laughs> and was it an image of your dad in concert that you saw that made you think, oh, what a fancy doing that? No, do you know what it was? It was a story in a bunty annual, and it was fantastic. There was this kind of, there was this sort of... <laughs> That's a funny one. Was it your father? No. In a bunty annual. It was, like, there was this picture story of this girl, and she was, like, cleaning, and then, well, she cleaned, she sang. <laughs> and then there was some guy comes in and goes, who is singing in the bathroom? Oh, oh my God, it's the cleaner. And um, she turns into this massive star. And I remember this story in this Bontiani or something, and I thought, God, yeah, you see, life can be like that. But the thing is, Dad did bring us up to believe that magical things like that could happen, you know. Mm. And I think, you know, if there's any chance of magic happening in your life at all, um, you have to believe in it. And so, I mean, he did bring us up to believe that fabulous things could happen. So, you know, I, I think that's really what mm. the biggest impact that it had. I mean, mm. obviously watching him live, watching him entertain people, seeing people in thrall, moving, jumping up and down, shouting, having a great time. Of course, all those things went on. But, mm. but as a very small child, I, I, I knew before I was exposed to all that what I wanted to to, to do what I'm doing. People still refer to you as the daughter of. Was it difficult for you when you were growing up to have that shadow to live up to? Um, at the time, 
I had to get my head around the whole thing about it very, very quickly because whether I liked it or not, my dad had written Kids in America with my brother and I was having a huge hit with it. And that was the irrefutable truth. And as much as, as a 20-year-old, I wanted to be quite cool and hip and, yeah, I, I, you know, I kind of strumming <coughs> on a street corner or in a toilet cleaning, you know, Mickey Mouse found me and stuff. Uh, you know, the reality was, was actually I was working within a family situation and, you know, I didn't waste too much time feeling Worrying. awkward about it. Yeah, yeah. When Kim's career started with Kids in America, I remember saying to, to Ricky, the night we'd, that we'd finished writing it, and I said, you know what? I said, if this, is, if this is recorded properly, this record might make the top 50. Mickey Most, uh, who was an absolute genius, um, signed up Kim to the Rack label. I said to Mickey, I think that it could make the top 50. And uh, Mickey's wife, said, she said, <laughs> number one or two. She said, not top 50. Kids in America. Yeah, she said, number one or two. And of course, right. she was right. I think it was number two in the end. But, um, and it, it sold sort of, well, it still is, it's still selling all over the place, and it's still. And also, timing, you know, you need good, you need good, good luck with timing. You know, if, if End of Sleep, my record had come out maybe the wrong time, or Kim's Kids in America, and hadn't been worked on, that's another thing. You must work on all this material, it won't just happen. Mm. Um, maybe we, you know, Kim and I wouldn't be sitting here now talking to you. There's uh, so much, I mean, if, any, if, if anyone had the recipe, for creating that sort of success, um, and that they'd be sitting on a, you know, a fortune. It's mm. Kim, when you were at your pop peak, was there a lot of pressure on you to get do stuff with your dad? Not, not pressure. No, I mean, of course, we were already working together because he was writing, writing all the hits. Songs, you yeah. know, so yeah. you know, our working involvement was very, you know, strong anyway. Um, and then there were a few times when I jumped on stage and did things and. We, we just did that for fun, you know, mm. I'd, be, I'd end up at a gig with Dad and then, you know, I'd get the, the nod and mm. all of a sudden we'd be singing Shake Man yeah. and Roll. Fabulous. <laughs> I think I'm right in saying that neither of you have actually had a number one, isn't that right? Kim has. In America. In a, no, I mean in the UK. In <laughs> no. the UK. That's correct. Still time. How much yeah, of a frustration has that been to you, though? You've almost reached the pinnacle. I'll be absolutely frank. Yes. It has. It's never been an issue for me at all. Okay. Um, I've just been really chuffed, really, yeah. with the success that I've had. Mm-hmm. It's been more than enough for me, you mm-hmm. know, absolutely. I, I, and now when I look back on it now, it's just, in, you know, it's incredible when I look at the, the longevity of my career and, and what happened in it. And um, I, I think for a long time, when I got out of the music industry, I, I didn't really treasure it much, didn't really, as much as I could have done I was got su- such a rush to get away you know, it's like when you, you know you have a party and it's great and then actually then there's a point where you just got to get out of the party you don't want to be there anymore you've had a great time you want to get home and you want to go and do whatever you do that's how I felt and I did sort of, I did sort of leave it all behind without assessing it I was too busy getting married and having kids now I've gone back to it um, and it's been really lovely sort of assessing it yeah. valuing it you know and and being proud of it, and but no, nowhere in that am I fed up about not having number ones and stuff like yeah. that. I really treasure what it is that I had, and, mm. and, and that it was um, uniquely mm. mine. To love it or loathe it. Marty, when Kim started out, did you try and teach her all the things you wish you'd been taught when you started out, but you weren't able to because there was no one to teach you? I didn't sort of like sit uh, Kim down and lecture Kim at all. I, that wasn't our family didn't work that way, but. I tried to 
to show her, really by deeds as much as anything, that, for example, the press. The press were going to be a very, very important part in her career. And to be good with them, you know, to take time out to be nice. Don't be, you know, don't be arrogant. Don't be... I think people in our industry, just a few people, you, you, can, see, you can see them so often, they, they will get to a position where they think they have something very special, they have this very, very God-given, it's coming down from above, this God-given talent. Everybody's got a God-given talent. Everybody has it. And I, that was, I, uh, I, tried, uh, I wanted Kim to be good, great with the press, dead straight, dead level, but, you, know, don't, you don't have to go around fraternising with them, but just be nice, just be yourself. And they will appreciate that. You start being big time and nasty, and, mm. and they'll 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 shoot you down. They'll shoot you down, boy. Mm. And I, so I didn't want her to do that, which she didn't do. She had a great rapport with the press all of her life. Mm. She said that, and I wanted her to to enjoy it. And I wanted the sounds. I wanted the sounds that were on her records to be good. I wanted, I wanted that the sounds used to worry me as much as anything. And mm. um, when she toured, we used to try to reproduce as accurately as even down to the inth, you know. The, the sound that was on the record. It had to be, you know, to get that same synthesizer and mm. the same echo. It was meticulous, tiny th- things that I wanted her to have when she went on the road. And I'm still fussy and finicky over things like that. Kim, how much do you think you benefited from the fact that your dad had been there before you, that you had that, that knowledge to fall back on, that advice and so on? I think really good, because I've watched him, like Dad has said, by, by his example, rather mm. than sitting down and sort of issuing edicts um, his priority was very basic family stuff and make sure everyone's being honest and truthful to themselves all, all kind of really basic good values and, and work hard and have respect for everyone doesn't matter what they do or what, where they come from or you know just really good sort of um, life skills really mm-hmm. And particularly the one to do with fame, which of course is, is a is a is a hot potato, and, yeah. and it can easily um, do some real mm. emotional damage to people. And mm. you witness it now, still in, in and, and I I do chuckle to myself. I try not to be smug when I when I come across it. I I just think there, but for the grace of God, go I. Yeah. But one of the dangerous things is for for people. We've seen it with other artists. Um, obviously, especially world artists, is that you get a lot of people around you that that laugh at all your jokes, like Elvis. Laugh at your jokes, agree with everything you say. But they agree with everything you say. You can yeah, say yeah. anything you want, and they're going to agree with you. And in the end, you don't see the world as it really is. It's like so many people when they get that big, you know, they can't mm. they because they can't they can't go out mm. like, like like you know any of us here can. They can't. You know, we've always managed to, to be able to skip out and do things and without being too bothered, you know. But they can't. They can't do those. And they they get separated from the human race. And in the end, they end up, I think, they end up quite lonely people. Because you, at the end of the day, you know, at the end of the day, you know, you, you can only drive really, well, how many cars do you want, you know? Mm. They won't bring you happiness, you know. If you've got your, your own your own home and it's reasonable and it's clean and sparky and everything, you've got your car and it gets your made to be, and you're happy, you know mm. that's the main thing. You've got the kids and everyone's healthy. What what more can can mm. a multi billionaire have? He can't have much more, can he? Really? 
Martin, I've interviewed quite a few football managers and they always say they enjoy their job, but it's not quite the same as playing. When you were writing Kim's hits, was it a bit like that, thinking, it's brilliant, I'm really glad for her, but I kind of would rather be her having no. those hits now? No, I never felt right. that. No, that was, no, that's a strange... No, that's the thing I could say hand on heart. No, and I, I remember when Kim played uh, Wembley with uh, Michael Jackson, mm. and I was uh, backstage, I was uh, talking to my mother on the phone, and um, Kim, they started, they announced her name, and this huge roar went up. I said, Mother, I said, I can't, I can't talk to you anymore. I think Kim's just going on stage right at this moment. Yeah. Bye. And, I, put the, and I, I felt a fantastic buzz. I got the buzz off that. Um, I got the buzz every time uh, she sang one of our songs, you know, mm. that, that was my part to play. You know? No, I'd done all that, I'd had all that. Mm. And I, you know, I, I know, I love, you know, I adore stage work. It's the big lifeblood. If I couldn't do that, I'd be, I'd be so, so unhappy, so sad. And, um, but, you know, um, I, I suppose because I can go on there and, and mm. like, to my theatre shows, and I love it. Uh, I never, I never felt that way with with Kim. For me, I was the writer. You know, I was always mm. a person to be in the background. It was, it was Kim's show. You know, and that, that was it. That's why we'd never recorded together. Mm. We kept it apart. That was, that was her show. You know, that's... But Kim, did you, um, when you started having huge hits after your dad's hits had dried up, was it quite difficult for you in a way? Was there an element of guilt in there almost that you were having this success now that maybe he should still be having it? No, I mean, it was really, it all happened so quickly and we were all having such fun with it and, you know, there was fabulous things happening all the time and, you know, a Brit Award and, mm. and hits in Germany and selling over a mil- million copies of Cambodia in France. And it, there was always a, a reason to celebrate. And the great thing was that I got to celebrate with, my, you know, with mm. them, all my family. And there was real reason to celebrate with them other than them being my family because mm. they were all part of the, of the jigsaw. And, you know, my mum and my brother and, and Rick and, and everyone, it was great. So, no, it was, um, it was wonderful to be able to share it all. That was a big part of what made it fabulous for me I think I might have gone under a bit really I think I might have drowned in it all if I didn't have them around me just to keep Mm. me buoyant and stable Mm. and Mm. with that kind of little formidable army standing Mm. right behind my shoulder I mean of course there were lots of criticisms about that as Mm. well you know I got lots of critics about working so close Mm. and you know the parent the parental thing and Mm. working with your father and your brother and Blah, blah, blah. I mean, there's plenty of people to criticise it. But I do know that that's the same in all of life. There's always going to be people who criticise oh, yeah. And um, I got used to that, and it didn't bother me. And I, I felt, I, and I still feel, that I would have gone under had they not mm. been there to prop me up. What was the most special moment for you in your career involving your dad? I do remember on the Michael Jackson tour. I think we were in Germany or somewhere, Michael's on stage doing things. And, you know, we'd been witness to this circus, you know, of people, and, you know, he wasn't meeting anyone. I still hadn't met him. There was quite a lot of upset backstage. Sometimes they'd give us a sound check, sometimes they wouldn't. There was dramas everywhere, you know. It, the whole thing associated with being a big, big megastar. And I remember he was on stage being amazing, of course, which he was at his height then. And I remember saying to Dad, do you think... Do you think that'll ever be me? And at the time, my career was either going to either kind of kind of going to go somewhere, which really there was only one place for it to, to aim for. Stratospheric. Um, not saying that it, it was obvious mm. it was going, it could have done mm. that way, but that was the only way. You that was I was either emotionally going to go all that way, or I wasn't. And I remember he slightly he went, yeah, if, 
if you want it. And I remember thinking, yeah, <laughs> I don't think you really think it either, because mm. I didn't think it, and it was interesting, because I think at that moment we were both looking at someone thinking, mm, is that for Kim? don't think it is. And shortly after that, I made the decision to get out of the business. After seeing all that madness, I just thought, oh, I, just, I don't want that for me. And I remember we sort of watched Michael together, and I thought, you know, and I asked Dad, and he was very, you know, I could, I could tell he was, he didn't want to say no, but mm. I knew in his heart, he knew it wasn't for me. Mm. And he, he, he couldn't see all that fire and energy in me wanting to have this stratospheric thing. What, what he could, I think you knew really, didn't you, Dad, that I, I didn't really want, want that. No, I think it fright- it's always frightened us all. I think it frightens mm. anyone who's got any brain at all, it should frighten them. Yeah. You know, I mean, who wants to, you know, like, uh, you know, I mean, I, I think it's fantastic to, to be the way we are. We've got the best of all worlds. You know, we, 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 we have uh, a certain amount of fame, a certain amount of success, financial and otherwise, and yet we can be ourselves, we can go out and... If I want to go down to the supermarket, I can shop quite peacefully and I can do this. I don't, do the other. I don't go to the, to the pictures, but I can do most things. You know, I play golf with my buddies and, and I've got a, a very normal, balanced life. And I switch over then, then suddenly I go into entertainment mode and you're out in front of the audience and it's guitars and flashing lights and the press or whatever. But then it's back to normality again and we're lucky to be able to switch back. And I think that no matter, they might think that they, 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 they don't have normal lives. They, mm. they, it's absolutely impossible. It's impossible because they, the public won't allow them to, to have a normal life. They're, they're cut off. So they have to, they can survive, don't get me wrong. They have mm. to have a very strong code. If they've got, if they've been, if they've got good parenting and, and a good and morals themselves, I don't mean to be goody-goody all the time, but a good strong code uh, to live by, they'll get through it all right. Mm. But it, it's, you know, I know. I thought. I, I think to myself. Well, sometimes the only thing I miss. I think I would like to be able to just snap my fingers and say, right, let's get a seven four seven, all of the family, mm-hmm. and just fly to. Let's fly to. Barbados. Yeah, Barbados. Let's go. And I, I, I can't do that. I can't hire a seven four seven flight. But where are there other many other people can, but. Oh well, I'll, I'll forfeit that. Thank you for <laughs> you know. There was a lovely, there was a lovely story that George Harrison. He hired a jet plane for all his friends when he was going to die. He knew he was mm. going to die as well. I think Joe Brown was. It was Joe was on the plane. Joe was asking him about the plane. He said, "Wow," he said, "this must have cost you a fortune." He said, "Yeah." He said, "Just think back those old days when I had to travel first class." And Joe said, "Blam! You've got a lot of beers in this fridge, George." He said, well, we did make a bit of money, you know, with the people. <laughs> <laughs> we sold a few records, you know. Sold a few records. At the end of the day, which is a fundamental thing in my mind, is that when you go to bed at the night time, and you're in, when all the press and all the media and all the money and everything else is right out of the way, and there's just you and your little brain, and you're sitting in bed there, you have to be careful because sometimes ghosts come to visit you. And a lot of people have to face bad ghosts yeah. for the rest of their life. No matter what, how much, how much they have surrounding them, and whether they're in Bahrain or they're in, in their 747, the ghosts will still come at night uh, time. You've got to try to keep your feet on the ground. Kim, I asked your dad earlier how it felt for him when the hits dried up. And um, how did it feel for you when things weren't quite as exciting as they had been? And how difficult was it for you to deal with it? The first sort of crash was the, the toughest because I had a career that sort of was um, a, a bit of a roller coaster, 
um, the first crash was the hardest one to bear and I did come crashing down from a great height. Um, after what do you refer to as the first crash? Um, but the realisation <clears throat> that I wasn't the, the, you know, the hottest thing in town anymore. Mm. I, I remember vividly doing yeah, a TV yeah. up north yeah. and um, I always remember, you know, I got into this thing where, you know, you became very press aware because you see them loitering on corners and stuff. So I became very, very body aware of people that was around me and mm. stuff. I, I, and I saw a, b- a bunch of them all and I thought, oh, here we go, here we go, right, okay. And I remember I was with this junior gisk and I was going, look, look, they're going to come up. So we're just going to, we're just going to do this. And like, you know, I was like getting the whole thing sorted out and they've rushed right past me. And I sort of stood there and I thought, oh, I thought they were, I thought, oh. And I looked round and they'd rushed past me to Jennifer Rush, who I'll never forget. <laughs> Literally rushed past They rushed past me to get to Jennifer Rush. And I remember I got to the um, airport and I was crying my eyes out and talking to oh. Junior and Junior was saying, Kim, you know, he's giving me the old thing, he'd been there and back with all that stuff. He said, Mama used to say. Yeah. <laughs> so, he was a lovely guy. He was a really lovely his, guy. His cousin yeah. is Richard Blackwood, isn't that right? Was, yes, that's nephew. right. Yeah. 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 And he was a great him. pal during that time, mm. actually, um, Junior. We did quite a lot of TVs mm. around the world at that time. And he really counselled me a lot. And um, he was a great pal. And, and of course, the family were always there, you yeah. know, of course, and, you know, it was always like, oh, well, you know, yeah. you know, I mean, the first crash was hard, I, I found it quite hard. It was the second crash, then? Well, no, but then, then the crashes became less frequent, and, and after the first one, you know, it's like your first broken heart, you know, your heart, oh. you never, it's never quite the same, you know, the first time you have that, that happen, it, it, there's a part of you that always just yeah. toughens up a bit. And so the second time, you know, when things didn't go quite so well, an album didn't do so well mm. that we spent a lot of time on, I was a lot more resilient to it and, mm. and began to see that it wasn't the be-all and end-all and that it shouldn't be and started looking, at, looking to see how, how wonderful life could be without a hit record because it, it had to be. Like, you know, I couldn't just keep relying on these hit records to make mm. me happy. Yeah. And eventually I remember sitting in front of a... a, 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 a I, was, I looked amazing, actually. I was doing this photo shoot and I had this red velvet dress on. And I, I really was at the peak, looking just fabulous. And everyone was fucking around me, faffing around me, rather. Um, and I was really lonely and sad, you know, and I just, I just thought, oh my God, I'm turning into Marilyn Monroe, you know, I could, all I could see was this blonde hair, red lips, red velvet dress, and this really sort of, you know, not very happy person. And I, that's when I started thinking, hmm, there's got to be more than a hit record and being glamorous. Got, and, I, you know, it was just a question that I would keep asking myself day in, day out for years and years until eventually I got out. Until he met Hal. Until he met Hal, yeah. Yeah. Did was he kind of the answer to all those questions? He was, yeah. He really was. And um, it was it was such a relief, uh, Mm. you know, because I knew that what an important, you know, my my dad and mum's life had been so transformed at transformed at such a young age, and I was I was so wanting to to meet my soul buddy in life, and I you know kissed a few frogs and thought I found them a few times. When I met Hal, it was really, you know, Dad said, when you meet someone who you really want to be with, you're really going to know about it. And I really, really did. And at that point, all that sort of worry about the future and concern and worried about waking up, you know, cuddling a gold disc and that's (laughs) it. And it all disappeared and that was a great day. And when you became a parent, how much did you use the knowledge of your own parents, the way they brought you up, you know, in, in being a parent yourself? Yeah, I mean, uh, 
the most important thing is just to you know let them know how much they're loved. I mean that's that for sure. I mean every day we we um, living under this roof or, or even when we're living in London never ever had any doubt how much we were treasured mm. and um, so of course that's the priority isn't it every day you, uh, you can't do much better than that really mm. in these early years I mean just and, and I, I did I never did think maybe because of dad not being around a lot when we were very young or, or maybe not I don't know but I didn't I never did feel that being in the in the pop world and being a parent were a good combination mm. but I did see that very much from a woman's point of view because of course you know as a woman you're the one that has to carry it on your tummy for nine months mm. and, and so it's very different so but I didn't, but I never felt that a career in in the music industry was compatible with having children mm. and I'm glad I took a big step out and and uh, allowed what happened, you know, have the mm. children and, and then getting into horticulture, which was just a dream yeah. job, just yeah. wonderful, and still is. And um, But it's it's been lovely to be at home and do mm. the school run and just be one of the mums and um, to get involved in school concerts and just have a really lovely, normal mm. life. To me, that means more to me. That means as much to me, much more to me than, mm. you know, being... And Marty, when you look at Kim the mum, does it give you as much pride as Kim the pop star? Yeah, she's a good mum. She's a bit soft. She's a bit. She's not always. <laughs> she's uh, a pushover. She's not as yeah. She's yeah. not as tough as a mother. A mother's tough, mm. and I'm the softy. And she and in in Kim's relationship, Kim is a soft mum. How much would you like then to go into the music industry to continue this fantastic <clears throat> tradition? Well. They're going to, aren't they? I think they will. I mean, I, whatever they want to be. Uh, I, I mean, uh, yes, it would be it would be great if they um, if they do f- follow in our footsteps. And I, but I'm damn sure <coughs> somewhere along the line uh, they will. And even if they didn't, mm. their children will. Some it's in it's in the genes. It's in it's in the it's in the makeup. It's in the blood. It's in the it seems to carry on and carry on in our in our, in our family. And I'm sure it does. Around the world with nearly all, all human beings. And what about you? Are you going to carry on or are you thinking of calling it quits with this 50th tour? Funny you say that. I, I say I'm going to quit. Or I would say once a day when I'm on the road, almost every day that I'm actually on the road. Because it's it, hard work. It's stressful. Only recently. I didn't find it stressful so much in the old days. But I think with traffic conditions are appalling. So that part of it. By the time you get to a theatre, you're a bag of nerves. Yeah, travelling is a nightmare. Travelling is a nightmare. That part of it now has made it a nightmare, in actual fact, for mm. touring. Obviously, once you're there and you're set up, I like to go to a theatre very early. The chap that I travel with, Tommy, who sits in the car with me every day, and I put that with my tantrums and moods. You know, I say, Tom, I had enough of this. This is it. I'm finishing. That is it. This year will be the last year, and then. I get home and then I look at I look at 2008, you know, and all this business, and you know, there's dates going in already, you know. So, oh dear, yeah, I shall do it. I would, I would like to do it until I drop. I'd like to do it. I don't want to do it. I don't want to bore any people. I don't want to bore people to death. Uh, I'll do it as long as I'm not too much of a fool, and I don't want to bore people. And uh, if it gives them pleasure, I'll do it. If it doesn't, then I'll, I'll quietly, you know, just just back off and. Someone telling me about Lonnie Donegan, who died, and uh, Lonnie evidently did a great show the night before he died, paralysing the, the audience. Yeah. That's where I'd like to go. You know, I don't want to be sitting in some home somewhere. You know, it'd I, be a good one though, Dad. I promised you, we'll be. You the promised best. me. 
best possible home that money can buy. With wheels, gold wheels on my chair and everything. I know what you're going to say. Now George has built a lift into this house. <laughs> You'll be here no matter what. That was what. my idea. That was yours. That was my idea, that was. Do you think you've been given the credit that you deserve for being the pioneer that you were? I don't know, really. I, I don't know. And I never stopped to think about it too much, really. Um, I know this, uh, this sounds awful, but I really don't care what people think. And that's a very hard thing to say. I don't care what they think. I, all I hope is that I gave them pleasure. I hope, that, I hope that they will remember End of Sleep and Bad Boy, those two tracks, and Tomorrow's Clown, they're three songs I recorded. But if they don't, then they don't. That's, it's not something that worries me greatly, because I don't... Oh, honestly, I'm not... I what do you think, Kim? Do you, do you think your dad's been given the credit he deserves? Are you... Well, I say what it, how it feels. When I did the 80s tour, when I, when I went back and did these 80s concerts again, after a long time, and, and I, had the, I had a sense that maybe my role in the music industry had, had, hadn't been too remarkable or that much treasured by many people. I, I don't know why I thought, I thought that, mm-hmm. but I, I, I sort of thought people would probably wouldn't have cared whether I'd been there or not, that sort of a feeling. Mm-hmm. And when I went out and did the 80s tour, I realised that I was very wrong. And there are all these people there having a great time mm. who clearly had a space for me, no matter how small, in their heart. And that was a really lovely feeling. And I mm. think I think Dad's probably like me. He, he probably thinks that me. I don't think he realises how... Uh, how many people have him in in their heart? Yeah. Uh, even if it's a tiny little space, it's it's somewhere. And I I do realise that uh, I think he suffers from what I suffered from. And it wasn't until I did that '80s tour that I I started to reassess where, where I belong, where I fitted in in the mm. in the great jigsaw puzzle that we call the music industry. And, I think Dad uh, underestimates his his affections in people's hearts, mm. and I think he he ought to. I, I'd like him to be able to really tangible have a tangible sense of that. Yep. I think he deserves it, and it's an, and it is. And having experienced it myself in the last few years, uh, I, I would wish it for him too, because mm. it, it's a it's a really lovely thing. And I can't tell you how many free taxi drives I've rides I've had in London. I get in the car and I'm always Marty's girl, mm. and it's like, oh, you're Marty's girl, aren't you? <laughs> yes. I say, oh, what's he doing now? Oh, he's still going, he's still going, go is he? Oh my god. And I say, oh yes, nothing that bottle of polytint and all this kind of stuff. <laughs> and then I get out of the car and then they don't <clears> charge <throat> me. So you know, I'd, I'd be nice. I think it'd be good for you to sort of have a bit of an ego massage, Dad. It's good for the soul.